Hey Rick, would you like to coach more efficiently, be more athlete-centered, led by data, and get some awesome results? Oh, yes. All right, well then Coach Tools is the coaching platform for you. Coach Tools is a coaching platform with all the necessary coaching tools in one place, from planning sessions to caring about your people. It is an easy-to-use platform for coaches, head of coaches, managers, and directors with an athlete-centered approach. With efficient digital tools, you will save your time, improve the quality of your work, and enable you a way to succeed. Rick, why don't you go ahead and tell all the listeners all the benefits they'll get by signing up with Coach Tools? Well, first of all, you will be much more efficient with your practice planning because you can plan it within a couple of clicks. Then um, you can be proactive for your athlete overload with exertion follow-up. Um, what is also very, very beneficial, and that is actually my favorite part about Coach Tools, that you can build closer relationships and better trust with them and get and give feedback through an athlete-centered coaching approach. That's the hallmark of Coach Tools. Um, you understand much more better their moods, their expectations, their values and goals, because after every game, after every practice, they fill out the very, very simple questionnaire and communication is so, so easy. And you can set up cheats and you can set up all the goals and you can follow it up, you can follow it up very, very quick, easily. And then um, this is also very valuable benefit is you enhance the learning of your athletes. You can illustrate drills, content, uh, tactics with the drawing board and you can store it at all one place and you can access this all the time you can share it with your club you can share it with someone else with other coaches and then um, all the information are always available for athletes and the coaches just one click and it's very easy um, it's very easy designed on on top of this there are many many more valuable tools which you can explore when using coach tools yeah, so as Rick said, there's so much more that you can do with Coach Tools. And, and all of our listeners can get a 20% discount on their first year subscription. All you guys need to go is to go to www.coachtools.net. That's www.coachtools.net and click start free trial and just mention that we, we brought you there from the Coach Edward podcast. All right. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools. Rick and I are very excited to be back and sharing another episode with you all today. Uh, the conversation features Marcus Ockerblom, which if you guys are familiar with that name, he has been on the show before in the past when he was serving as an assistant coach with the Swedish national team. Uh, now he is serving in the Swiss league as the head coach of HC Torgal, which I'm sure I did not say correctly, but I gave my best effort. Um, and I think overall the, the conversation was a lot of fun with Marcus today. Uh, he's a very humble guy, really likes to just have an open conversation and, and talk about coaching and everything like that. So it's a lot of fun. Um, to, to talk with them and to share that with everybody. But before we get into that, uh, I wanted to give you a chance, Rick, to, to share some exciting news with everybody. So, yeah, just take it away. Yes, so thank you, Derek. Um, so since this week I've started a new job. From the next season on, I will be working as a U17 assistant coach for the Eisbären Juniors Berlin, uh, more or less in my uh, hometown. Uh, Berlin is a very, very big city, and uh, I'm excited for my 
new task and uh, for the new things ahead on my on my personal coaches road. Yeah. Well, way. congratulations. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Very exciting and probably nice to, to be close to the family again and be, be home. So I'm, I'm happy for you and I'm looking forward to, to hear all about it as we continue on with our podcast and down our road. So um, congrats again. And then let's now kick it over to today's conversation with Marcus. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road podcast. Today, we are joined by Markus Ackerblom. Markus, uh, you are a familiar guest on our show. Uh, this is your second time joining the podcast today. Uh, how is everything do uh, going with you? And how has it been the last, I don't know when it was the first time, but I think uh, one and a half years ago, how has everything been? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for uh, having me back. Uh was a really fun time the last time. So I'm really appreciate you guys want to have me back. Uh, it's been quite some time since, since the last time I, th we talked, uh, I don't know if that was before or, or in the middle of the COVID session thing. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been like a, uh, as a hockey coach, it was a couple of years. That was, I think it was pretty tough with, with all the lockdowns and, and, mm. and also be, be fortunate to be a part of the Swedish national team at that time. Yes and weren't able we missed actually one world championship tournament mm -hmm. and uh we went to the olympics which which was kind of special too yes. and uh uh yeah it was special years but but it's been it's been good yes i it's still remember really yeah i still remember uh, you were just touching on it the last time we had you on uh, you were the assistant coach for the swedish national team and meanwhile you have a different position as a head coach in switzerland for hearts And um, just to start off a little bit, um, since, as I said, the last time you were, you were the assistant coach for the Swedish national team, and you were already mentioning um, the Olympic Games, um, just want to ask and go into this uh, overall, what kind of experience was it to go with the Swedish national team to the Olympics? And then on top of it, it was uh, still COVID time while the Olympics took place. Yeah, um, since I'm since I'm uh, an old player and I, I was fortunate to to play for the Swedish national team a couple of times, it's always been uh, like a kid's dream to go uh, and play the Olympics, but I never get the chance to play it. Uh, so it's really happened when I get the chance to go there as a as a coach and, and to experience the the Olympics was was something just amazing. Uh, but just like you said, unfortunately, it was during the COVID time. So it was uh, it was quite an experience, uh, first of all, being in China. And second of all, just being locked up in a small, small room in the, Olymp in the Olympic village for uh, almost three weeks. Uh, it was not the Olympics I was hoping for as a kid, but it was still a, it was still a great uh, experience and a really fun tournament to play unfortunately we lost the semifinals against russia on, on shootouts uh which was a little yeah. bit of a... i still remember i was watching yeah. this game i was sitting in my old apartment uh in finland and uh i was following the game and i was also sometimes the camera was going on the bench and i was seeing you so it was uh oh, yeah. it was it was quite cool and i was uh of course i was uh, rooting um but um yeah as you said uh Uh, it has been your dream to go there, and I. It sounds like that it still has been a really, really cool experience overall. 
Can you just uh, walk us a little bit through uh, how was it like Olympic Games, COVID, China? I think everything was a bit different, just uh, the daily routines. How was it uh, there, everything? Yeah, first of all, we, we flew into an airport that was closed. Uh, so we were only uh, people participating in the Olympics that flew into that uh, to that airport. Then they bust us right away from there to the security center uh, when we had to do a lot of testing, of course, COVID testing. Mm. Uh, and then they drove us to through the security gates into the Olympic Village, and then they put us inside a, a small apartment, sort of. And that was our home for the most part of the Olympics. We were not allowed to go to see any other sports, uh, which, of course, would have been a really big thing if you would have been to a normal Olympics to go see cross-country skiing, which is a really big thing here in Sweden, and and, and other uh, athletes too and it would have been really fun to to meet up with other athletes from other countries and stuff like that but unfortunately we didn't we weren't allowed to leave our room so that was mm. kind of hard and also going to practice we were only allowed to just go for uh the bus to the to the training rink and then have uh have the practice and then 45 minutes later the bus went back and straight back up to the room again and that's uh pretty much the life in the Olympic Village for, for, for three weeks. So it was special. So uh, we didn't uh, get to experience China much. Um, I don't think that China is a, is a place that you usually go to as a tourist. So yeah. that was also sort of a once in China, you would have maybe would like to see a couple of things there. But um, it is what it is. But I'm still really happy and and appreciative that I get the chance to, to go and be a part of a, an Olympics, even though it was a little bit not the, the Olympics I would have dreamt about, but it was still a, a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Was it, it, It's interesting because, I mean, hopefully we don't run into a, a whole pandemic again, but um, I, I think it's always interesting. You, you mentioned it's not the normal experience. So, you know, players and coaches that have had that experience going into the Olympics before, they're facing a, a different kind of challenge to compete and to perform at a, a high level. Was there anything that you guys did as like a coaching staff or just a team staff that was um, maybe a little bit different to keep the players entertained or keep them, you know, ready for their competitions or, or just anything like that, that you guys had to take special care of during the event? Uh, no, unfortunately, I would say we tried uh, at the best of our ability. We tried to set up a room at the Olympic Village where we all were allowed to used to be the our team to mm. we could have some run some games and we have I think we had some playstations and stuff like that going on. But but the hard part for us was that we didn't really know what to expect going into China. Mm. Um, so it was hard for us to prepare for it. So it was more or less. Uh, we have to wait until we get there in order to know what how it, how things were going to be. Sure. Uh, and once we were there, we were very limited to do things too. We weren't allowed to sort of get the the group together either when we were in the Olympic Village. So it was it was quite a challenge. Uh, and I think for some of the players, I think it was really hard for some of the the little bit younger players that are used to, I wouldn't say freedom, but used mm. to be able to do much more than just stay in a room and play hockey. So I, I think for us coaches, I think it was actually easier on us than, than on them yeah. in many aspects. But yeah. 
as yeah. coaches, we are probably a, bit, a little bit used to this lifestyle sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> you know, we used to just be locked up in a room, watch yeah, the video exactly. the entire yeah. time. But, yeah, but the players, uh, they they are used to doing so much more. They used yeah. to go out to dinners and stuff like that when we were out on the road, and and now we were only there were one restaurant in the entire Olympic Village, so we had pretty much the same food too going on <laughs> for three weeks. But um, it was still okay. It was well, very well organized, and and. Uh, and good, but it was uh, it was really hard on a lot mm. of players, and even for for a couple of uh, us in the staff too. It, it was a tough mm. one experience. Yeah, and uh, then um, obviously, as you describe, it was a very tough experience, and everything still sounds uh, very interesting because it was, of course, it was unique circumstances and it was a very unique uh, Olympic Games in China. Mm. But uh, you still had some pretty big games in the group stage. You played against Finland and. You played in the quarterfinals against Canada and in the semifinals against Russia. Can you just walk us through what was the preparation process before games against the other nations? Well, we tried to do it as much as possible the same way we uh, usually do it even without COVID times. The problem was that there was really no space for us to have the meetings. And even the limited time down at the rink made it sort of tough on us to to have the normal meetings and the normal um, schedule going on. But we did what we always do. We try to scout our uh, opponents as much as possible, both what they do as a team and, and, and also individual players to have a need to keep track on. Uh, and of course, we had also power play and penalty kill meetings and stuff like that. So we tried to divide it. Some of the meetings we had, at the Olympic Village in one of the small, small rooms where we tried to fit everyone in. And some of the, the meetings we could actually have down at the rink too. Um, so I think we had pretty good um, uh, control of, of mm. what we wanted to do during the games and how we wanted to play and, and different aspects of, of every game going into it. Um, and is yeah. there any difference, like, just because in the Olympics, there's only three group stage games, and then, like, a World Championships, there's seven group stage games. Is there any difference in, um, like, how much you prepared for those games or anything like that? Or, or was there any difference in, because I feel like if you have only three games, each game feels that much more important. Was there anything different in that sense? No, and, and what I forgot to say earlier was also that that because we didn't know uh, if we we're going to have NHL players or European mm -hmm. players going into yes. the Olympics. Sure. Yeah. And that was just decided like two weeks before. So the whole process going into the Olympics was working with two different teams the entire time. Okay. One, one NHL player kind of team and the other uh, European team. Sure. Uh, so when we finally got the decision, uh, I think we met at the airport in Stockholm. That was our first meeting. And then we were in quarantine for uh, three days at the hotel. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then we flew over to, to China. So it was very uh, little time to prepare. Um, and and the thing you asked about there, Derek, is when you have that few games, you really need to narrow down the most important thing and try to make it as efficient as possible. Uh, you, 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 as a coach, you know you always want to put in as much information as possible. Mm. Um, but that that is one of the things when you work with the best players and you work in the national team, you cannot you can actually cut some corners because the players are so good. 
Uh, so if you it's sort of and, and only having three games, you really need to be at your best right from the start. There is no warm up games, there are no exhibition games or anything going into Olympics. We didn't have one game going into the Olympics hmm. with the team who we were playing with. So that's a little bit special too. Um, but we're good players. Uh, I think we handled it uh, very good. Uh, and uh, as always with Sweden, we try to focus on, on the defensive side of the game, what we do without the puck and, and how to play within the system. Um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, follow up on this as well, because um, as you said, when you uh, work with the elite players and especially on the Olympic level, uh, you work with the best athletes in the world. And in that sense, you work with the best hockey players from Sweden. And uh, it's also very interesting how you were describing that you went through two different uh, preparation process, one with NHL players and one without NHL players. And then you ended up uh, going to the Olympic Games uh, without the NHL players. And the decision was coming uh, only two weeks before. So following this and then um, hearing this, from someone who has been experiencing uh, it, uh, it makes everything even more understandable and you understand much more yeah. how the entire process was. And you were talking about that you had pretty much set your identity and you were mentioning that you were focusing pretty much on the defensive side on the game. Was there anything, was there any other aspects uh, from the national team perspective that you really wanted to focus on for the two weeks uh, in China? Um, I think, uh, as always, when you play with the best players in the, in the national team, it's, it, the, the biggest job you do when you work in a national team, it, it is actually scouting and picking the right players. Mm. Uh, because if you, if you got the right players, then they pretty much coach themselves. Uh, I doesn't say that to, to take anything away from the coaching staff or anything, but really good players, they, they sort of run the process and they use the coaching staff as support mm -hmm. and i think this is the biggest difference between sometimes with the national team and when you're working uh, in a club uh, in a club you as a coach has to be the one that run the process but in the national team you have to be uh, able to let the process be run by the players because you don't have the time as a coach to run it You can set up the boundaries, you can set up the rules, and you can set up the systems. But then you need you need to give the players some space to work within it, mm. and, and that that is one of the, the beautiful things with working with really good players. And also uh, that that is why it becomes so important to play, pick the right players, not necessarily the best players, but the right players that are able to make other players better and be able to together with us in the coaching team run the process. Yeah, it's, you, you, it's really interesting because you, you, you're starting to talk about that difference between the national team and the club level. And I, I'm curious to see, because now the last season you spent in Switzerland as a, as a head coach in the league there. And, and coming from three years with the national team as an assistant coach, what are some of the biggest things that that position with the national team has helped in coming back to being a head coach? And um, I I don't know if that was the best way to put that question. But anyway, is there anything that you learned during that process of being with the national team that you're really utilizing in your job now? 
Yeah, I, I think I think I learned a lot of things just by being around uh, a lot of good players and a lot of good coaches. Uh, I think I picked up a lot of things. But the most important thing uh, I picked up is that um, no matter what you do, you have to be crystal clear in what you want to do. Mm. You can't you can't sort of be. Um, I don't know how to put it. Um, when you have very little time with players then you have to be very effective both in the way you work when it comes to minute hours and practice. Mm. You have to be well prepared and you have to put the finger on the point right away. You can't dance around too much. And sometimes I feel when, when, when we work in the club team, we got mm. so much time that we sort of uh, abuse the time aspect. We can do things much faster, much easier, even when we're working in the club. Because if you can set set a system and a, and a way of play if you can do that in a national team in like four or five days um you shouldn't you shouldn't um it shouldn't take six months with a, with the club team sure mm. yeah. yeah so i think that was if, if i don't know if i made myself clear but that no, was the, the thing you just you just try to keep things simple and, and put focus on what where the focus is supposed to be don't do a lot of unnecessary things yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you're going from, a, for example, with the Olympics, you're going from three group stage games to I don't know how many games they play in the Swiss League. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't do my research there, but uh, <laughs> I think it's probably a lot more than three games. But no, it is. No. And I, it, I've, I can imagine that's an easy trap to fall into. Like, okay, now, hey, I've got, you know, I've got 40 plus games to no. get my message across. When in reality, it's, it's if you can do it in three games then you can do it in, in three games with a club team yeah. as well. Um, overall about your, your experience with the national team, I know we talked about it a little bit um, during the first time we had you on the, on the podcast, but what was, you know, you, you mentioned you learned from the coaches and the players and, and learning to be direct. Was there anything else that changed as you grew into that role as an assistant coach there in your own coaching and your own approach to things um, that you didn't have previously before the national team role? Uh, I'm just going to go back first, Derek, because uh, even though I was aware of this, I still fell into the trap of, of moving things too slow. Uh, even if I was aware of it going in as a head coach in, in a new team, in a new country with a lot of new players, I still think I went in, was a little bit too comfortable uh, with the amount of time I had, which made things so much slower. So now when I look back at the first season coming back as a head coach, uh, there was a lot of things in the beginning of the season that I wish I would have done differently. And, and there it is again, just the fact that you're coming in and you feel comfortable because you have so much time. Um and that sometimes tricks you. And, and I went into that trap one more time, even though I was aware of it. So it's it's easy to say, but it's not that easy to do. Yeah. Um, and also transferring from being an assistant coach back to head coach was much harder than I expected it to be. Uh, I expected it to be like almost like press a button and then you just become head coach again and then you start doing the things you want to do but to be honest I don't think I did a really good game the first uh good good job the first three four months because I was I don't know uh, it's your you lost your touch for it 
Mm. And there's so many things that down the road you, you just realize that, oh, I forgot this. I forgot this. I should have done that. <laughs> um, and, and even though you've been uh, at the level and, and, and working with, uh, with the national team, it's so, it's so easy to forget things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really looking forward to go back one more season and, and start over again and just do the, the things a little bit better than I did this season. Yeah, uh, exactly. You've um, extended your contract in Togo uh, yep. for one more season. And um, you were talking about that you are falling into the trap. And I think that sometimes I I think this is not my sixth year starting coaching. Uh, of course, you have much, much more experience, uh, I think, than Derek and me together. <laughs> uh But still, um, I can feel it by myself sometimes yeah. uh, when I go on the ice or I want to do something, I'm thinking about something or I'm the locker room then uh, very often um, falling into... Yeah, but balance. you know, Rick, exp- experience is good, yeah. but it's only good if you learn from it. Yes. yes. Uh, otherwise, it's just a waste of time because That's every true. situation, every season is a new one. You have to start mm. fresh. And if you, like I did, I think I did that. I think I just relaxed a little bit, was a little bit too confident that I know this. And, and I think that that is a part of the trap uh, of relying too much of, of experience. Um, experience is good, but, but sometimes it's actually overrated because if you don't learn from it, it's really nothing. Mm. So. Yes, definitely. Uh, and um, you... When you had the role of the national team coach, as we discussed several times, you um, had this uh, had the position as the assistant coach, yeah. and now we were transforming again to a head coach. And in Sweden, you were the national team coach, assistant coach, and now you're again head coach in uh, Switzerland. Uh, and it's two different countries, uh, two different cultures. Uh, can you just talk about? what has been the biggest difference for you in the culture overall between Switzerland and Sweden? Um, I, I think when I, when I realized uh, or made the decision uh, that I, I'm not going to stay in the Swedish uh, national team anymore, hmm. um, I was thinking what I wanted to do. And for me, it's always been like a driving force to keep getting better uh, and find new challenges. So uh, I was talking to some of my friends and also some of my uh, coaching, uh, the people I coach with, and everyone says pretty much the same thing about me, that I'm a little bit too nice. Uh, they want me to be like more angry and sometimes more direct. And, and, I, uh, and I agree upon that. So I, I wanted to find uh, uh, an environment for me which uh, demanded that a little bit more of me. I uh, used to challenge myself and see if I could handle it and and for me uh switzerland is actually one of the 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 tougher leagues to be in and i gotta say i'm i'm really uh i'm really not i shouldn't say surprised because i knew about it but but there is a big difference between swedish hockey culture and swiss swiss hockey culture Hmm. in that aspect that i think the players are demanding much more of me as a coach in Switzerland than they do in Sweden. Uh, and I'm actually surprised about it, but I'm actually really happy too, because that is a part of, of what I was looking for, but also a part of, of the thing that I really believe in uh, as a coach, that it should be, 
it should not be the coach uh, on one side and the players on the other side. We need to work it together. And in Switzerland, the players are more um, open to come both and criticize me as a coach or ask questions and also demanding things and they can they it happened to me a lot of times they come in and they give me suggestion on on how to change things uh to make things better and and that have never happened to me in sweden mm-hmm. uh, and i like that i think that that is something that that we should pick up more in sweden too mm-hmm. uh and i think in the end of the day it's a it's a cultural thing that really doesn't have anything to do with hockey it's just the, the society we live in and in Sweden, we have a society that is uh, pretty forgiving. Uh, mm-hmm. There is not much. Uh, which you, which, which word should I use? Uh, we don't ask that much of our kids in in, in school. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are having a very good life here in Sweden, which makes mm-hmm. it. Uh, I, I don't know the words really, but you know where I'm going with this. Uh, we are so comfortable that mm. if if we put some demands on Swedish hockey players, they have a hard time handling it. Mm. In a bigger, uh, if I compare it with the Swiss players, they also mm. have a really good life, but they brought up a little bit differently, and mm. they are more used to the hard work, mm. uh, the hard words, as you say, the hard words. Mm. That's been a challenge for me and the players in Switzerland. They asked me so many times to sort of be tougher on them. Uh, and that was the challenge for me that I was looking for. And I think I adapted to it, even if it t- took me some time. Yeah. You were talking about that uh, something that's uh, very important when working with the national team is that you try to pick the right players and yeah. uh, you want that the players are able to, why you said that in the national team, the players are leading the process uh, and not the coaches. And uh, my question is, um, now when you work in Switzerland uh, with the players in Turgau, um, have you been able or have you been able to that the players are leading the process or is it you leading the process or is it uh, mutual from both sides? I think this was pretty much the, the hardest part for the players because I wanted them to run the process. Mm. Uh, but the coach before me, he was the totally opposite from what I am. And I don't say anything is right or wrong, but he was different from me. And uh, uh, with him, he run, he ran everything really hard in the power. The players weren't involved in, in pretty much anything. Mm. Uh, and the change for the players was, was uh, really big, I think. So it took mm. them also some time to adjust to it. Uh, but I have to say... Uh, in the beginning of the season, I had to run the process and I had to do it. And as I told you before, I don't think I did a really good job. But when, when I started to realize how the mentality and the, how, how the culture was in, in, in Switzerland, I think mm-hmm. I did it better. And I think also in the end of the season, we had a much, much bigger process that was run by the players and the locker room. And they were using me more as a support in the end of the season than it was in the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. So I think both the team and the players had to adjust to, to what I wanted and, and what kind of coach I am. But, but for sure, I had to adjust to it too. Uh, so I think it was a, a give and take. 
But I think in the end of the season, we pretty much got it where I wanted it to be. And I'm, I'm really proud of it. And I'm really mm-hmm. happy that we, mm-hmm. that we sort of found that, that mm-hmm. thing together uh, with the players. Yeah. And yeah. you still made the semifinals. Yeah, we made <laughs> the semifinals. Yeah, yeah. That so can you talk about those adjustments a little bit? Because it's really interesting coming from spending four years in Scandinavia and, and starting to uh, understand what you're talking about with that, yeah. that kind of culture there and um, just how natural it is. I think especially in, for example, Finland, it was pretty natural for the players to start to run the process and, and yeah. kind of have that same, because I'm pretty sure it's very similar to the schooling and everything in, in Sweden as well. So what was that shift like for you? And, and what were those adjustments you made from, you know, coaching in Sweden and coaching Swedish players to coaching a team that I think you said uh, in our pre-call, you had two imports um, yeah. on, on your team this year. So what were those adjustments that you made in dealing with the players, um, whether it's one-on-one or, or as, as a team overall? I, I think I had to do it both. And I, as I said, and I repeat it one more time, I don't think I did a very good game, a good thing, good work in the beginning. Because I think I, I tried to give away the process before they were ready for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to give away the process, um, but they weren't ready for it. So then I tried to like force it on them. And that didn't work very well. Mm. Uh, so then I had to take a step back and I had to um, take charge one more time. Uh, because at that point, uh, the team were looking for a leader. And, and I am the leader of the team. There's no question about that. I, I am the coach. I'm supposed to lead this team in what direction we should go. And, and I tried to give that away before they were ready to, to take care of it. Uh, so I had to take a step and take a step forward and really take charge of it again and start making some adjustment. And in that, I took took smaller parts of the team, like one on one talks, uh, and and sort of made them responsible for the process within their small groups in the team. Um, so instead of going, I, I started out with the entire team, but after a while, when I took it back, it was more and more one on one. And and at that time, I started to know which players I could use uh, to build that process too. Uh, and, and that is, uh, I think that's really important to find which players you can use. If you want to run this time, kind of leadership that I want to do, uh, then you need to find the players that can support you and can help you at it. Uh, and that took some time when you're, when you're new in a, in a team. But it's also interesting for, uh, from you, Derek, do you, do you see that there's a big difference between North Americans and like Finnish or Norwegian where you've been the last year? Yeah, I would say so. Like, for example, I've been on the ice a couple times because I'm in I'm in North America at the moment, and I've been on the ice a couple times since I gotten back with um, one of my one of my friends' groups, and I, I can see more of that hard coaching, um, you know, and and meaning that you know, not kind of the old school coaching, but more in the demanding and the the. Um, just more telling players exactly like how hard they should be working and um, more expectations for hard work and stuff like that, which is, is interesting. Um, and thinking back between like my coaching in the States before I went over there, it, 
it was very different. And, and like from the skills they focus on to the type of environment they create on the ice and in the team, um, it, it was, it, it, there's a lot of differences I would say. And, and I could probably spend an hour on um, just breaking those down, but uh, um, yeah. it, it is really interesting to, to compare the cultures of it sport and, yeah. and, and everything like that. And I, I wanted to ask because I, I kind of have an idea of how, um, a little bit of how Finnish and Norwegian players would react to having a, you know, foreign coach come in and coach in, in a little bit of a foreign way. I, I'm curious to, to know how your players reacted. What, what were the signs that you could see that would tell you that, Hey, these players aren't ready for this or, you know, I'm, I'm losing a little bit of ground here, that kind of thing. I would say frustration. Hmm. Uh, and they start asking me like questions. Hey, hey, Marcus, we don't know what to do. Yeah, you need you need to tell us what to do. And I said, well, guys, I I can't really tell you what to do. This is what we would like to do, but then you have to read their and read their, the situation and stuff like that. And, and uh, that is that is part of the process where I sort of went a little bit wrong. Uh, they weren't ready to answer questions. They wanted me to lead and tell them what to do because that is what they were used to. Yeah. Uh, and that is what I had to take back. So I had to start with, go back to start with, this is what I want you to do. This is right. This is wrong. This is how we do it. This is not how we do it. And, and take the process back. Mm. And then when, when things start falling uh, in place, then we could start implementing some questions again like, how would you like to do this situation? Yeah. I know we said we're going to do this, but can we really do Can we do it any other way? And then we got the dynamic going a little bit. But it's still, I have to run the process much more. Um, and that was what I was talking about that I picked up from the national team too, that, that try to be spot on in the things you would like to do. Um, and I had to bring that back, and I had to do it a lot more than I than I am used to. Um, but it was a really good process for me as a as a coach to to do it. And I'm really happy that I noticed in time the frustration and and the problems that players had to adapt to it because they wanted to know. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to think about it. They wanted to know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that that is that is taking a little bit uh, responsibility away from players because mm-hmm. I think they should be able to understand why and they should be able to to be a part of the process. Uh, but sometimes you can't do it, and then you have to uh, just admit that as a coach that okay, we can't do it this way. Then then as a coach, you have to find another way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I think that finding another way or going a step back is. Uh still part of the process because you it is actually you realize that uh, what are the specific needs for uh, your team environment and culture and um, what i like because if this this if this would have been in sweden yeah players would never have come into my coaching room and told me Mm. but in switzerland the players came in and told me hey this is not working we can't do it like that so we need to know you need to tell us what to do you need mm. to show us on the video exactly how you want us to do it mm. and at first i was a little bit man come on guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but once again coming in with uh 
maybe too much experience. Yeah. Uh, thinking players know more than they do. Mm. Uh, expecting a little bit too much, maybe not being humble enough. I don't mm. know, but it was a it was a good thing that they came because they I think they helped me a lot. Mm. And, and to be honest, that that is also part of the process that I like. That I as a coach show them that it is okay to come into my room and tell me what to do. I'd like mm. you guys to do that. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that is also uh, I don't. I hope I send that signals to. I should say I know I sending that signals to the players that it is okay to come into my room and mm. and, and help me out too because I also mm. need help. Even mm. though I'm the coach and the head coach, sometimes I need help too. Yeah. And which is the best to help me? That is the players mm. because the players they 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 sit on all the answers pretty much mm. if I allow them to say it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I still still remember from our um, first recording you were preaching very often uh, already back there that it's so essential to the, involve the players in the process and that uh, they are the most uh, essential resource we have, we have as coaches. Oh, yeah. I, I still think uh, so. But, yeah. but uh, sometimes when you talk about it, it sounds like uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really easy and it's sort of a oh, yes. uh, just let, let go kind of mentality, mm. but it's really not. No. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard work and, and you have to be you have to be committed as a coach if you want the players to help you out in this way. So it's not easy and, and it's not a, a, a let go kind of mentality coaching style because it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, thinking back to last episode as well, like we, we talked a lot about this idea of coaching with questions rather than yeah. like coaching with, with um, the opposite of a question. Yeah. I'm blanking on yeah. the word. Um, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it must have been really tough for you as well. And, and, and I'm sure frustrating at points when you realized you had to take a step back and give more answers than than maybe you were comfortable with or, or maybe your, your coaching philosophy told you was appropriate. And I know we talked a little bit about this uh, last week, but um, what, what was that adaption like for you? How did you learn to or maybe not learn, but maybe adapt to the coaching that you had to change um, something that maybe was core for you to, to match what your players needed. How did you, I guess, like, how did you live with that? If, if we use the words we used earlier. Uh, I, I, I think this was one of the reasons I, I took on the, uh, the challenge to go to Switzerland and do this. Uh, I was aware that I'm going to have this problem. So I was, I shouldn't say that I was looking for it, but I, I was afraid that I was going to end up in this situation hmm. where I didn't reach the players the way I wanted with my way to do it. So I think I mentally was prepared for it. Uh, and that is also, um, I think that's one of the reasons why I notice it in a good time before it's too late. Because if it would have gone on for another weeks or, or a month, then maybe I would have lost the group. And the confidence yeah. of the group. Um, so I, I think I was aware of it, and I knew that this was going to be my challenge going there. Uh, so, so I don't think I had to adapt that much. Um, I just have to to sort of challenge myself to to go into the dressing room and just give them the answer without doing the questions. Mm. Um, because as you said, Rick, sometimes that's also part of the process that mm. 
that sometimes we actually have to give yeah. the answers. We, we can't just go with questions all the time. That is that is totally it's yeah. not possible. Yeah. So most of the most of the times we are actually working with only the answers, the answers, the answers. Mm. This is what we want. This is what we want. But once once the process gets going and you get the players to be a little bit curious about it, yeah. then they can help you out. And this yeah. is the beauty of it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, today I just um, uh, as I as I have uh, as I have mentioned in the introduction, I uh, started a new job uh, uh, in my in my hometown in Berlin, more or less. And uh, I it's just my first week of working, so I don't know the players that well yet. And I just had a few conversations on the ice, also with one kid and. Uh, just was just two minutes and out of nowhere he was uh, asking me a question already uh, for a specific situation and uh, it's just uh, it's just they come uh, automatically at some point yeah. the questions so um, oh, yeah, for sure yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so definitely and especially I think also the more the more interested the players are about what they do the more um, curious or the more they want to know about some situations about the sport about the game uh, I think it just uh, the more interested they are, the more they show it also in that sense. Uh, I totally agree. And if you get the, the mind to be involved in the practice, so it's not just the body, it's mm. just not your, your body skating around doing things yes. because someone told you. If you yes. get the mind to be involved in, in just realizing why you're doing things mm. and how things are connected, then you will learn so much faster. Mm. Are you are you using any tools uh, to involve the mind uh, for your players? Oh, what what kind of tools do you mean? Uh, just just in general, any preparation tools. Uh, like for example, I know that uh, our U twenty team, for example, when they go to the gym, they always start with breathing exercises the first five minutes. Uh, uh, no, no, I, n no, nothing like that. Uh, no. yeah. I'm I'm a bit curious. I kind of want to shift uh, the conversation a little bit because we've been talking now about how you've interacted with the players of a different culture. And I'm curious because there's, it happens a lot in coaching, but I don't think it ever really gets talked about, but this idea of shifting from an assistant coach to a head coach and working with the coaches. And, and I'm curious, like, I, I don't know your team staff makeup in, in Switzerland. Do you have um, Swiss coaches or are they foreign coaches or how is your staff made up there? They, they uh, use me. And then there's uh, Swiss guys okay, and, and women. Yeah. So they're all Swiss. Speaking, like asking the same question, but to work with the coaches, what, what was it like going from being an assistant coach for three years and then back to being a head coach? Did that teach you anything with how you work with your staff, how you involve them, um, and just overall that, that kind of culture you create in a, in a team staff, for example? Um, both yes and no, because I, I think... I was head coach before I went to the, to the to the national team too. I was head coach for like six years, so yeah. uh, it wasn't really that much. But uh, there were a couple of things. First of all, it was the language barrier, uh, which was not only for me as, as as a Swedish coach, but also for the for the Swiss staff uh, that all of a sudden we have to do everything in English. Mm. So no Swiss and, German, yes. no Andesian, uh, <laughs> Andesian, all right. <laughs> No, but we had to switch everything, and I never done I never done this in English before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's so easy to to do it in your own language, where you have all the words and you can paint the pictures and you can 
sort of uh, just talk freely about what you want mm. to do and how you want to do it. And now you're going to do it in a foreign language and everybody else also are asked to do it in a foreign language. Mm. Um, but also for them, it was quite new because as I said, the, the, the coach before me, he was sort of also telling the staff what to do. Um, and, and I try to work with the staff as I do with my players. A lot of questions. What do you want to do? How do you want to do this? Uh, what do you think is the best way, et cetera, et cetera. And, and there was a big difference for them too, because in the beginning, they only said, well, you're the head coach, you're in charge. Mm. And I said, that's not the question I asked. I asked you what you think about this. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but uh, you're the head coach. You should decide. <laughs> uh, so that was also a process to get them involved. And mm. I think also them were a little bit skeptic in the beginning. Hey, what is this? Doesn't this guy have any answers on anything mm-hmm. um but even then uh even with them i had to go sort of a, a step back even with the staff so it was not it was not a big difference and i think we talked about this too when the last time i was here that it's it's you we're working with humans yeah and it doesn't matter if it's a player it's a staff because mm-hmm. it's it's pretty much the same it's interacting yes. be, between persons that we are doing and then it doesn't matter if it's hockey or if it's soccer or if it's in a company. It's yeah. it's people uh, interacting with each other. Um, speaking about working with people and speaking about your time with the national team, uh, you had the possibility to work uh, with Johan Garpenlöw uh, as the head coach for the Swedish national team. Um, and overall, what have you been uh, taking away from uh, Johan Garpenlöw uh, into your coaching? What have you been learning uh, from him during the three years with the Swedish national team? Uh, I think he was really, really good in, in like pointing down things that were essential. He he learned he he learned me really how to take away a lot of. Uh, unnecessary things that you don't have to do. Um, mm. I think he's a little bit more direct in his way of leading than I am. So I, I also took that away from him. Um, and also he, he like all, I, I shouldn't say all Swedish coaches, but a lot of Swedish coaches will still have that uh, human touch mm. to it. So he could be very direct and very uh, sort of point with the whole with the entire hand uh, more than me. So I, I learned that you can still do that and you can still do it with like warmth and, and in a good way. You don't have to be bad at people just because you mm. want to be clear and you want to be sort of a little bit harder. And I think he find a balance in that. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah, we also were hearing about previously from Pasi Mustonen, uh, who was the former Finnish uh, national team coach for the women. Um, he was also preaching all the time that uh, if you if you want to deliver a message, um, of course you can still do it in a demanding way, but you still yeah. need to do it in a caring and uh, a warm yeah. way. And I think this uh, sounds uh, very very similar to me overall. It is, and that, I, I think this is probably the thing that I. I uh pick it up the most uh, during this uh, year in Switzerland that I still have to be better at this and I mm. want to be better at this, but it really doesn't come natural for me. Mm. Uh, so I mm. still have to work on it. Uh, but I think I'm much better today than I was a year ago going into Switzerland. 
Um, so yeah. I, I learned a lot from that. And, and um, yeah. that are that are then really really good requirements for the next season. And it's I think it's exciting that you uh, continue working next year in Togo because now you got to know a little bit, uh, or now you know the culture much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know the players much better. Um, is your roster situation staying the same for the next season, or is there a lot of changes happening? Uh, there is always changing going on, but not too much. Okay. Uh, we have some changing going on in the coaching staff. We've got a new okay. goalie coach and a, a new physio coming in, uh, off ice coach. Uh, okay. And of course, there's going to be a couple of new players too. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But last year, I, I sort of used went there with a, a team that was already set. I didn't mm. have anything to do with okay. putting the team together. Okay. Uh, this year, I'm much more involved in putting the, the team together for next season. Yeah. Both new uh, players and, and, and re-signing players. Yeah. That's uh, very, very interesting because you're working in Togo and Togo is playing in the second league in, the second league in Switzerland. And at the beginning of our conversation, you were uh, talking about uh, how to pick the players for the national team. And uh, in Togo, uh, you have only two spots for imports. Yep. Um, and obviously, there are also other factors in how you can pick players and which you can pick players. Uh, obviously, um, I can imagine, for example, money is one, one factor. It's, yep, uh, it it's, uh, it's a fact uh, everywhere when you work in pro hockey. But um, if you have to pick two imports uh, for your team, for your specific team uh, playing in the second Swiss League, um, what are some uh, factors you're looking in and characteristics? Uh, I, I think for us in, in Hotsiturga, for us, it's so important that the players that come in fits the profile and the identity of the team. Mm. I think that's probably the most important thing, that they come in and they have an identity as a player that fits the identity of the team. Mm. Uh, because I don't, I don't think, at least not our club, we can't really have a guy coming in just playing offense. Mm. We can't really have a guy, an import coming in, just going in to score goals, even if we would like to have an import scoring 50 goals. Mm. But in our club, we can't do that because the fans and the rest of the team, they, they, they demand that they work as hard as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, is, that, is, that is pretty much, I, I know that some other teams, they get away with it. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that our team, no, they're not going to get away with it. Yeah, uh, and I really like that because that's the way I, I wanted to. But mm. that identity and that culture uh, was in Hotsetourga long before I got there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's the most important thing. Then, of course, uh, the imports in, in the Swiss League becomes really important because we need guys that can play offense and, and can score mm. points, of course. Mm. But in, in in the end of the day, they have to be a, a, a puzzle, a, a piece of the puzzle that we're trying to build. Mm. Um, that is really important for us. Yeah, and I think it's um, especially that makes it so interesting if you have only two spots available. Uh, it's limiting uh, the amount of players you can pick. And I think it's uh, then it's even more interesting because you need to be very precise in what players yeah. you pick them and how you pick them. So I think that and that entire process uh, is uh, very, very interesting overall. And uh, it's, uh, as you said, that it's a very essential tool for your team because they are a very important uh, part of the of the puzzle overall. 
Yeah, it is. And what makes it also uh, both interesting and hard is that we're playing in the second league. So we yes. can't really, really pick the best players. We sort of have to find the players in the level just beneath the best, mm. uh, which makes it both harder and more uh, challenging too to find the players uh, that really doesn't uh, are on top in in mm. the, in in scoring. We we have to find the second best one, yeah, and yeah. we also have to have the right character coming into play for yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting discussion because every. Every team has their unique pieces that you know make make a player successful there or not. I think, and and it's always interesting to hear about kind of the puzzle that is, like you said, the puzzle that you're creating a team with, and yeah. um, and what goes into that, and what kind of players go into that, and, and I everything think that is also, important. That is yeah. also something I picked up from the national team how important it is to have the right yeah. uh, the right group. The right group is almost more important than and the right players. If you have the right players, you will have the right group, then you will have the process, and then you will have things sort of by itself go the right way if I, as a coach, also point out the direction which we should go. But if there's just one or two bad apples in the group, then you're not going to get there. Mm. And especially not if you're playing in a second league. In the first league, when the players are really super good, then you can probably do it and get away with it. But mm. I don't think we can get away with it in the second league. We need to have every piece of the puzzle like spot on. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And, you know, as we kind of wrap up towards the end of this conversation, I, I'm curious, we've talked a lot about, you know, some of the things you've learned when you transitioned from Sweden to Switzerland and, you know, kind of the process you went through through the year. And now going into your second season with the team, I'm just kind of curious, do you have any, kind of pinpoints on the changes you're going to make or, or, you know, the adjustments you're going to make or the things you're going to continue to do with the, the team coming up this season? Well, um, I think the, the process is going to be pretty much the same, but I'm, I'm, I'm going in and I'm going to, I'm going to try to reset, even though, uh, as you said, Rick, it's going to be interesting to come in for, for the second year. Uh, I'm going to try to see it as my first year. So I'm going to start from the beginning and I'm going to start with uh, really taking charge. I'm really going to lead the way and I'm going to work with just giving them the answers in the beginning until we get where we want to be. And then we're going to start including, including, including. Uh, so that is sort of my plan to, to, even though it's the second year, I'm going to try to reset and go in like it's my first year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If that made any sense. Oh, yes. Yeah. 100%. And I, I think that's a, it's interesting as well because you, you talk about those new pieces you're adding. So it gives yeah. them a chance to, to start fresh with everybody as well and kind yeah, of work think, their way into the group. Yeah. And that, that is actually why I'm thinking about it too, that, that it has to be like that. I can't, I can't come in and expect everybody to know this now because I've yeah. done it one year because it's going to be new pieces and, and, once again, experience is good, but this is going to be something new again. And yeah. then the experience from, from last year, I have to learn from that. But this is a new situation, and new situation demands something new from me too. Mm. So I have to go in, and, and, I, and I both hope, and I, I'm really going to do a better job in, in pointing the directions out and, and not involve them and make them, force them to be involved in, until they are ready for it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's um, 
we we wish you all the best with the, the next so season. I, I think it's going to be really fun to um, have you back on in a, after this next season and, and talk about this all again. And, and you know, what, I, I, it's probably going to be the same thing because every time we evaluate <laughs> every season, it seems to be the same thing we put up yeah. on that list. I went too fast. I was expecting too much. I wasn't humble enough. So it's pretty much the same thing that always comes back every year. Yeah. Uh, well, then we can just have another but, nice conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully one of these days uh, I can actually learn and go back and, and do it right. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, like we said, we, we wish you the best of the season. We, Thank we, you so we, much. We're sure it will go well. And we always have just one final question for, for our guests as we wrap up. And um, it's just if you have any pieces of advice, any tips, um, any kind of final thoughts for for coaches out there like like Rick and myself, for example, Rick's transitioning from from head coach to assistant coach with an older age group. So if you have any any tips for for someone in that kind of transition um, or or anything else that you want to mention here as we as we wrap up. Oh, oh, that that is a that is a hard one, but um, I think I think the one I think that as a coach, everyone knows that you are the leader. Everyone knows that you're in charge of this. That means they know you don't have to prove it to them. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so don't, it, it probably sounds a little bit weird, but don't take yourself too serious. Uh, be open-minded, be curious, and, and listen to what other people say. Don't yeah. don't go in and expect that just because you're the coach or you're the head coach that you already got all the answers. Because I'm 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 really sorry to say you don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good point. I think especially young coaches and that and I've seen it in myself. We we always try to prove ourselves right away. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's always necessary. So no, it's uh, not. It's not. And sometimes you can actually just stand up and say, Hey, sorry guys, I was wrong. Yeah. And that, I think that's a really good thing to sort of yeah. try to do more because we do a lot of mistakes, we coaches too. And sometimes it's, it's really just good to admit that we do them because we force the players to admit that when they do mistakes. So sometimes we just have to uh, pull our pants down and admit that we do mistakes too. <laughs> uh, not here in the States. I can't do that in the States. <laughs> Um, all right. Um, so, Marcus, <laughs> thank you very much for the, the conversation oh, today. It was a thank lot you fun. so much for having me, guys. Yeah. All the best next season. And mm -hmm. um, let's let's stay in touch. And we're, I think we're excited to, to see how this season goes for you. Sure. Take care, guys. Yeah. So one more time, big thanks to Markus for taking the time and joining us here today for a second time at the Coaches Road podcast. I think overall it was a very insightful conversation and it was very, very interesting to listen to Markus's transition from being an assistant coach uh, on the men's national team for Sweden to being a head coach uh, in the Swiss League with HC Turgau. And the first thing I definitely want to touch on what he was mentioning, I think it was very interesting when he was talking about um, how the processes run in the national team in comparison to, to a club, because he was explaining that overall that during the national team, you do not have so much time in comparison to uh, with the team. And overall, like it was very interesting to listen to that 
how he was explaining that when you work with the elite players, with the best players, more or less, on the highest level, um, they take the full responsibility and uh, they are running more the process in comparison to on a club level where uh, you as a coach uh, guide more the process. Yeah, and that was my first point as well because it was it was really interesting to hear about you know I think the process and use coaches as support right like that that kind of idea at the national team level is something that's really interesting and then how he's transitioning into that role as a head coach at the club level where you have a full season of time with the players and you have just overall a lot more time and we talked about that kind of trap you can fall into but how how is he using that idea and implementing it into the into his club now. And I think that's the challenge for, for all coaches because of course, when you get to the highest level, you can have players run the process and use the coaches as support. But I think the trick for coaching youth and, and coaching not the highest level of players is how far to that side of the scale can you get um, where your players can still have success um, in getting better or winning games or whatever the goal of your level is. And I don't know, yeah, like you said, it was really interesting to hear him talk about that whole transition and, and how he's trying to implement that that ideal in his setting and in his culture. Yes, and then also on the other side, um, speaking about the um, time picture, um, because I think uh, it was very, very good what he was reflecting on that overall, that sometimes on a club level, we abuse the time effect so much, so we think we have so much time, but um, if we're really narrowing it down, it's actually not that much time as it is. So I think yeah. it's a very good thought to treat every day also on a club level like a national team day because the older the players get, the less time they have maybe to get to a certain level. So I think it should be kept in mind. And if you treat every day like a national team level, I think uh, it's a very good perspective for development as well. Yeah, and just having that idea of, this is what I want to nail today. This is the idea I want them to get across um, or I want to get across to the players today or I want them to pick up. It, it's having that deliberate ap approach to every single day is, is something that's valuable. And, and he said it as well that, you know, he fell into that trap right away when he got back to the club level and found that he had so much time. And I really like this quote there where it says, experience is good if you learn from it. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. And mm. And it really made me think, you know, on a bigger level, I, I think still in coaching, you have experience um, just being the end-all, be-all kind of thing for a lot of hiring processes, if we're being mm -hmm. honest. And, you know, like, how do you judge someone's experience? Has it just been something that they've gotten the experience and they've stuck with that same experience over and over and over again or is it experience that has taught them a lot and changed them a lot and molded them a lot um and they've changed as they've gotten experience and and how do you judge them how do you bring that into the decision making process for when you're looking for a coach and um whether you're looking to build out your coaching staff or whatever um but it, i'm really interested to see how marcus finds himself this year if he if he's able to quickly and deliberately implement ideas and, and not fall into that same trap. It'll be interesting to have him back on I, in the future and talk about that. I also think it's interesting talking about the experience part because um, the experience uh, 
is of course shaping shaping us in some way and yeah. uh, i think then also it's very important how you use your experience in different environments and different cultures for example if i think about myself now during the last five years now including now i've been working in three different countries and um, even though i'm from germany and even though this is my hometown uh, it's still a new environment for me a new culture so how am i going to use my experience in this in this new culture that's also a question for myself for example now yeah yeah and it's it's something that um i don't know it, it's just you let you either let the experience change you or you you don't and and mm. it's kind of you know it's kind of the growth mindset versus fixed mindset kind of thing and um I, that's what i really liked about you know the conversations we've had with marcus and and just the kind of coach he is is he wanted this challenge he, he sought mm. it out and he knew that you know he'd be going to a different kind of culture different expectations on him as a coach, different expecta expectations on what his job was from the player's perspective and different time commitments, different uh, challenges with the time and different lengths of competitions. And, you know, completely different, absolutely completely different. The only yes. thing that's similar is the sport, right? And, nice. um, and it, it really struck me that he sought that out and he wanted to challenge himself. He wanted to work on aspects of coaching. Yes. And to do that, he purposely sought out an opportunity that would challenge him in those yes, areas. Yes, and, and it's, I think it's a very, very good example in keeping in mind that uh, someone who has been working on the national team level with uh, elite athletes is uh, still trying to go for the next step and uh, still right. challenging the bar. So I think it's a good reminder for everyone and also for myself that uh, regardless of the level you have been working on and regardless where you're working, there's... Uh, maybe always something you can confront yourself with. And uh, I think overall also that um, listening to his thoughts from the last season, um, working in Turgau and then attacking the next season, uh, it's very interesting that uh, now, based on the last season, he wants to he wants for the next season first, like, guide the process a lot, being uh, more on hands. And uh, then during the, during the season, he wants to uh, loosen the reins a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I like his approach of just seeing his second year and just kind of starting over and seeing it yes, again as the yes, first year yes, and, yes. and learning from what he had gone through last year and, and starting right away with kind of the right step. And yes. we've talked a lot about it, I think on the show, but it's a big change for players from mm. just being told the process to then owning the process and running it themselves. So it's necessary to, to take smaller steps and, and work them towards being able to do that because you don't want to get them into the um i'm forgetting the technical term but the the zone that's too far out of reach for their yes. comfort yes. you know like there's a comfortable zone there's a stretch zone and then there's a panic zone. panic zone that's what the technical term is you don't want to get them in that zone where they start to freak out and feel incompetent so add that step-by-step -step process is going to be really key i think and and um i i think yeah it's it's a good approach to to start back at the first year and and go through it. Um, and I also and, think that yeah. overall speaking about, again, about this um, time factor and mm -hmm. what we are talking about, that uh, it's a very good idea to treat every day like a national team day overall. And um, speaking about when he was working with uh, Johan Garpenlöf, the former national team coach of Sweden, and uh, what he was taking away from him is overall that how spot on he was. And I think also that um, this is... Uh, 
this is a very very crucial skill in coaching overall that uh, when you do preparation and you go through some things with the players that really being spot on because um, it's uh, and then very straight in your information and uh, still giving the giving the information that helps them uh, for some for some specific moments I think it's always a very very important reminder and if uh, people on the highest level keep preaching it I think it's uh, very essential to uh, implement it and like what he was saying also at the beginning that uh, the elite players they are um, they're able to work very well so you can cut the corners and um, overall I think it's um, very very essential that uh, we don't uh, we don't we don't need to like go always so much in deep of everything we can also sometimes just cut the corners a little bit more yeah yeah i think it's it just shows as well that you really need to know your audience and you need to know where they're at and what they're comfortable with and and when you can cut those corners and, and when you need to go through that whole process and, and everything with them and um you know, because it, it is, it is, like you said, like it, you're working with humans, but each human is, is different and going to need different things. So just being adaptable as the coach and, and how you implement your ideas and everything is, is essential, I think, to have success. So I think, um, I think that's pretty much it I, I, for me, at least. I don't know if you Yes, for me, it's also, I think, again, overall, it was a great conversation. It was really yeah. cool to have Marcus on for a second time and Again, like listening to someone who has been working on the national team as an assistant coach and uh, now transitioning as a head coach was yeah. overall very, very, very interesting from two totally different environments. And overall, the last point I wanted to bring up, I think it was very insightful also to listen to how um, he is thinking about picking the imports for his team overall because they have yeah. only two spots and um, it was interesting to listen to uh, what characteristics they are looking for that they cannot that they are searching for the players that are like still top but of course they cannot hire the the, the elite elite players that are playing in the in the first Swiss league for example but it's very interesting what kind of characteristic they are looking and specifically for yeah and, and that idea of making sure they fit the puzzle is, yes, is really interesting yes. Yes, and, yes. Um, yeah, I think overall it was a really nice conversation and I think it everything he was talking about fit in with each other. So there was nothing mm. that kind of um, didn't belong with the conversation, if that mm. makes sense and, and if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, I think it was a lot of fun. So thank you again to Marcus for, for joining the show a second time and um, looking forward to connect again in the future and, and see how this is evolving even more. So, um, yeah, and for everybody that's listening, thank you all for your support. Um, as always, and we really appreciate you guys sticking it out until the end, and even just listening to us ramble on about the conversation. It's always it always means a lot. So thank you, everybody, and um, we'll see you next time on another episode of the Coaches Road Podcast. Thanks. Mm-hmm.